Welcome to the Doc Washburn Show, the show that talks about what you actually care about. The Doc Washburn Show streams live at noon Eastern, 11 a.m. Central weekdays on the Podbean app, which you can download onto your smartphone. That's P-O-D-B-E-A-N and is available for download at Spotify, Apple, or wherever podcasts are available. The Doc Washburn Show is on Twitter and Facebook. You can email us at contact at docwashburnshow.com or call us at 866-609. 3711. This is episode number 35 of the all new Doc Washburn show, and it is Tuesday, November 30th, 2021. Yes, I was fired by one of the biggest radio companies in America, Cumulus Media, simply because I refused their vaccine mandate. Yes, it's obvious last November's presidential election was stolen. No, my old employer wouldn't let me say that on the radio, and yes, There's all kinds of evidence out there that a lot of people are having serious negative reactions to the vaccines. So this is a really different kind of talk show. We are unmasked, uncensored, and unfiltered. Now, before I get to today's news, I want to tell you about a personal journey I've been on for 13 years and how, by the grace of God, I discovered the best-kept secret in American health care. I have hoped and prayed for years for the opportunity to share this on a national stage, and I'm thankful the Lord has opened the door for me to do so. Back in 2008, I was living in Brunswick, Georgia, selling radio commercials. That's where I met a doctor who taught me about a crucial part of health care that most of us have never heard of. Okay, here goes. Your skull weighs somewhere between 8 and 15 pounds. It rests on the top bone of your spinal column, the atlas or C1 bone, which only weighs 2 ounces. So it's really easy for that atlas bone to get out of alignment. If it does get out of alignment, it can cause your spinal column to get kinked up like a chain. So that can lead to big problems because that's where your central nervous system is located. If your spinal column gets kinked up, it can cause your central nervous system to be unable to send impulses to the rest of your body as God designed it to do. So you need to find out if you need an upper cervical care doctor. They're the doctors who take x-rays of your head and neck to see if your atlas is out of alignment. And if it is, they're the doctors who will adjust your atlas to get it back in alignment and you feel better. At the time I found out about this over 13 years ago, I was a single dad and my mom was helping me raise my six children. So I went home and told her about this doctor I met who adjusts people's atlases and about the results he was getting. She said, Doc, you have to take your son, Steve. He's only 13 years old, and I'm afraid he's developing scoliosis, curvature of the spine. He can't sit up straight. He can't stand up straight, and he has migraines all the time. So I took Steve. He got his atlas adjusted, and immediately he sat up straight, and he stood up straight. After his third adjustment, the migraines went away for good. Then my mom told me, Doc, look at yourself in the mirror. Your shoulders are off balance, and you have bad headaches all the time. I think you need to get your atlas adjusted. So I did, and the migraines went away. But I also realized that I had been suffering through a low-grade but consistent head and neck ache caused by several automobile accidents I had been in over the past 20 years. So that consistent low-grade head and neck ache went away immediately, and I instantly realized I had been walking around in a fog for several years. Getting my atlas adjusted was like coming up out of the ether. But what really surprised me was when springtime came around, And for the first time I could remember, I didn't have hay fever. Well, that was quite a shock because I had had really bad hay fever every spring going all the way back to my school days. Folks who have their atlases adjusted have reported success with not just migraines, not just allergies, but fibromyalgia, acid reflux, and even eczema. 
It's all about adjusting the atlas to remove the obstruction that keeps your central nervous system from sending impulses to different parts of your body as it's designed to do. Now, I've been under this kind of care for over 13 years in three different states. I think I would probably be in a wheelchair by now if I hadn't found out about getting my atlas adjusted. My wife and I know many people this has helped. If you're wondering if you need to get your atlas adjusted, look in the mirror or look at a picture of yourself. Do your eyes look off balance? Do your shoulders look off balance? Do you naturally tilt your head to one side or the other? When you sit on the sofa, are you most comfortable leaning one way or the other? If you answered yes to any of those questions, you probably need to get your atlas adjusted. If you'd like to get a free consultation with a doctor near you who adjusts atlases, go to the website TurnMyPowerOn.com. We link to it on our website, TurnMyPowerOn.com. You'll be glad you did. All right, now, let's get right to it, shall we? There is a new uh, variant they're telling us of the coronavirus, and it's called Omicron variant. And it's so scary because four people in South Africa who are already vaccinated got it. Are, Are you sitting down? Hold on to something. The symptoms are like having a mild cold. Oh, no! Are they just trolling us at this point? Are they just trolling us at this point? Uh, The co-founder of Moderna, a company that had never successfully brought a product to market before they came up with this vaccine for the China virus, the co-founder of Moderna, Nubar Afayan, was on Bloomberg News. And oh my goodness, they're... uh, they're all been out of shape about this uh, new variant of a virus that gives the symptoms of a mild cold. Check it out. Given what we know about an- antibody levels right now, how worried are you about Omicron and the state of the virus? Well, Emily, thanks for having me on. Um, you know, I think worried or optimistic are luxuries that the last 18 months should have got us kind of to to begin to move away from as opposed to being uh, determined to protect ourselves and very vigilant. And so I, I definitely think that this threat is something that we have not seen before. Uh, the number of variations, mutations on this virus are surprising. Uh, they're not theoretically impossible, but extremely rare. And so we have to take it for the serious threat that it poses. Now, uh, we have a lot better weapons to fight back against it than we did 18 months ago. But that I, I think that, the, again, worrying, we always should be worried when we're under attack. I think it's what we do about it that matters. Well. We're under attack. Symptoms of a mild cold. Oh, my goodness. How can I increase uh, profit margin on this? Uh, The great John Davies over there on Twitter says, The irony that a co-founder of a pharmaceutical corporation that has profited greatly off of a health matter where morbidity directly relates to metabolic syndrome and insulin resistance, of which obesity is a symptom clearly has no knowledge of maintaining optimal health. No, none whatsoever. None whatsoever. guy named Spike Cohen, who was the uh, 
candidate for vice president of the Libertarian Party last year, but we're not going to hold that against him, says it's real simple, folks. In order to stop this new variant, we have to do the things that have already failed against the old variants. But we must do it even harder this time so even more people suffer as it fails again. If that makes no sense to you, you're a bad person. He says, change the word variant to pretty much anything else, and you've just described another government policy. Endless fun for you and the whole family. Right? Um, The United States uh, top infectious disease expert, Dr. Anthony Fauci, said Sunday on ABC News, Americans should be prepared to do, quote, Anything and everything, unquote, to fight the spread of the new COVID-19 variant, Omicron. He told ABC News. It's too early to say whether we need new lockdowns or mandates. He said, quoting again, you want to be prepared to do anything and everything. Yeah, right. I mean. It's getting ridiculous. It's getting to be absolutely ridiculous. And, you know, I'm tired of putting up with it. Tired of putting up with it. I'll tell you one thing. I got a guy who's not falling for it anymore. This is a guy named Ron DeSantis. Perhaps you've heard of him. He's the governor of Florida. Check it out. And let me just say, in Florida, we will not let them lock you down. We will not let them take your jobs. We will not let them harm your businesses. We will not let them close your schools. The definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and and, and expecting a different result. The lockdowns didn't stop COVID. Forced masking, they said last year, would end the pandemic if 80% wore masks. Many more than that were wearing masks, and it hasn't worked. They said you could get COVID off off surfaces, which isn't true. Um, They've not been honest about the origins of the virus, and they haven't been forthright about natural immunity. And with these travel restrictions, I was probably the first governor in January of 2020 to call for travel restrictions from China. I supported President Trump when he did that. But we have to take a step back and acknowledge that those travel restrictions just didn't work. The virus had already spread. Uh, And so whatever this variant is, the fact that you identify some in southern Africa, that does not mean that it's not in any corner of the globe. It's an airborne respiratory virus. So I think those restrictions are not going to work. They haven't worked in the past. And clearly to even be entertaining the idea of doing destructive, disastrous policies like lockdowns. I mean, honestly, I'm not surprised uh, because I think some people are just wired for this, um, but it is not going to happen in the state of Florida. You can take that to the bank. You know, for some reason, uh, Dr. Fauci doesn't like Governor DeSantis. I can't, can't quite put my finger on why. You know, we said, um, where was the part about uh, catching COVID from a surface? 
The lockdowns didn't stop COVID. Forced masking, they said last year, would end the pandemic if 80% wore masks. Many more than that were wearing masks, and it hasn't worked. They said you could get COVID off, off surfaces, which isn't true. They say you could get it off surfaces, which isn't true. So um, I'm reminded of when I was doing the um, local radio talk show in Little Rock, Arkansas. And um, Little Rock is the biggest city in the state of Arkansas, and it's the capital. So sometimes you get uh, government officials to come on. And so last year I was speaking, doing an interview with uh, the state's top epidemiologist, woman who works for the Arkansas Department of Health, who my tax dollars pay her salary. And when I mentioned that early on, In the so-called pandemic, I was trying to do everything I was told to do. And uh, whenever I bring stuff home from the grocery store, I would spray everything with uh, my 70% alcohol solution just to make sure I didn't catch anything. Her response was, oh, good. Yeah, that's good, good. I said, yeah, but the... The FDA admitted months ago that you can't get it that way. Now, she had to know that, right? As she was cheering on me doing totally futile things against an imaginary. No, no, no. No, the Wu flu itself is not imaginary. The China virus itself is not imaginary. But the idea you can catch it off a dry surface, that's imaginary. She had to know that. But um, they, they don't want to tell you the truth. They want you to be subservient. And that's troubling. It's bothering me. Now, there was a pretty cool... Pretty cool thing that happened in a federal court yesterday. Um, Eric Schmidt, the guy who was attorney general for the state of uh, state of Missouri, he's running for U.S. Senate. He announced yesterday the Missouri-led coalition just obtained an order, just obtained an injunction halting Joe Biden's CMS healthcare worker vaccine mandate. This was an egregious overreach. We're fighting back and winning. So that's really good. No, and he, he links to it. Here's what it says. In the state of Missouri et al. against Joe Biden. This case concerns the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services federal vaccine mandate on a wide range of health care facilities on November 5th, 2021. CMS issued an interim final rule with comment period entitled Medicare and Medicaid Programs, Omnibus, COVID-19, Healthcare Staff Vaccination. In other words, the mandate. And it goes on and on, but... 
they got the injunction against it. So I hope I hope the folks in Missouri will have the sense to elect this guy president, a uh, president, like this guy senator. He's running for senator um, out of Missouri. I don't know why I said a president someday, perhaps. But no, that's fantastic. That is fantastic. Now, the Epic Times, the Epic Times has something interesting. New study says natural immunity works like a boss. What? What? The Epic, by the way, when I talk about the Epic Times, I'm not. I don't mean E-E-P-I-C, I mean E-P-O-C-H. It's a great news source. It's about a minute long. Check it out. According to this new study right here, which came out of Qatar and was published in the New England Journal of Medicine, it found that those people who have already suffered from COVID and therefore have natural immunity, they are very well protected against future infections. In fact, according to the study, it found that among the people who already had COVID, only 0.4% of them got it again. And among those reinfections, they were 99% mild cases. Meanwhile, in regards to the new variant of the virus that just came out of South Africa, it turns out that the reason it was called Omicron was in large part due to the fact that the WHO did not want to offend China. Otherwise, based on the Greek alphabet, it should have actually been called the Xi variant. And then lastly, according to the head of the South African Medical Association, who's by the way, also one of the first doctors to actually discover this new variant, she said over the weekend that the symptoms that she's seeing are unusual, but actually they are rather mild. Let's go through it all together. Wow. Strong, strong, strong. They don't want to call it the Xi variant, XI, because that's the name of the premier of China. Don't you know? Don't you know? Um, speaking of people having the natural immunity from already having had the China virus, the Wu flu, That doesn't matter to the government and doesn't matter to most healthcare facilities. Got the, uh, the story from Robert F. Kennedy Jr.'s website, childrenshealthdefense.org. The, the Defender. Exclusive, forced to get vaccine to remain on lung transplant, transplant list. 49 year old who survived COVID dies after second Moderna shot. An exclusive interview with the defender, Amy Boland, said in order to be approved for a double lung transplant, her husband had to be fully vaccinated for COVID, even though he had had the virus already and recovered. After a second Moderna shot, he developed a pulmonary embolism and heart condition. Gee, who could have seen that coming? And died before he could get new lungs. They're killing people. And they don't care. Now you say, Doc, why would they do that? Oh, I don't know. Billions of dollars? Billions of dollars? You know, I read in the Bible, uh, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Did you know that? 
Yeah, it's in there. It's in there. Um, so let me tell you what the great Daniel Horowitz over the blaze is saying this morning. Article entitled, Studies Show an Aggressive Vitamin D Campaign, D as in Dog, Could Have Prevented Nearly All COVID Deaths. What? He says, what if we could simply have advised everyone last March, you know, March of last year, to supplement with vitamin D and active forms of D for those with absorption issues. An endless stream of academic research demonstrates that not only would such an approach have worked better than the vaccines, but rather than coming with sundry known and unknown negative side effects, it would have induced immeasurable positive side effects in the population for an array of other health concerns. He says, I recently changed doctors in search of a physician who actually follows science rather than political protocols from government and big pharma. He says, my wife was searching through my medical records and found that eight years ago, my D level was just 18 NG slash ML. I'm like, okay, wait, 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 Daniel. What does that mean? That means nanograms per milliliter. It's unit of measure most commonly used to express drug testing cutoff levels and quantitative test results and urine and oral fluid. So that's something the doctors are looking at, are supposed to be looking at, nanograms per milliliter. So eight years ago, that's what his D-level was at, well below the cutoff for insufficiency. He says, yet my former doctor never informed me of it, never flagged it as a concern. Fast forward to today, after months of supplementing with vitamin D, thanks to the advice of people like Dr. Ryan Cole, and my level is at 67, up from 18 to 67. This likely means that when the pandemic hit last March, my levels were still woefully low. According to a new German study, the difference between a level of 18 and one over 50 could be the difference between life and death. Why has this education not gotten out to the public, especially now that we're in the winter season where there's essentially no natural vitamin D from sunlight above the 37th parallel? Or is the obfuscation by design? Now, of course, of course, I had to look up to refresh my memory about the 37th parallel. And basically, that's the line on the globe that, um, well, above it would be Virginia, Kentucky, Missouri, Kansas, Colorado, Utah, most of Nevada, and Northern California. Below it would be North Carolina, Tennessee, Arkansas, Oklahoma, Texas, New Mexico, Arizona, Vegas, and Southern California. So this time of year, in the top half of the U.S., you're not going to get much vitamin D is what he's talking about. So why aren't 
doctors, why isn't the medical establishment telling us you need vitamin D, vitamin D? Because they do what they do tell us is, oh, cold weather, more COVID. But they don't tell us what to do about it. Gee, maybe it's the same reason that they uh, admit people in hospitals and don't give them any therapeutics. Maybe it's the same reason they don't want you taking hydroxychloroquine or ivermectin. Maybe it's the same reason they do give your remdesivir. There's money to be made in COVID deaths, apparently. Anyway, uh, Daniel Horowitz at The Blaze says, with studies having shown zero correlation between lockdowns, masks, and vaccines, and better COVID outcomes, there are now 142 studies vouching for the near-perfect correlation between higher vitamin D levels and better outcomes in COVID patients. It's likely the area of COVID-19 treatment research that has the most data behind it. However, a recent German study stands out from all of them because it comes the closest to proving this ironclad correlation to be causation. Correlation is one thing. Causation is another. He says, not only did the German researchers find a linear relationship between vitamin D levels and mortality from COVID, they found essentially zero morbidity for those with a vitamin D level above 50 nanograms per milliliter. The reason this study is so important relative to the dozens of others tracking vitamin D levels with COVID outcomes is because it measured the levels months before the patients got the COVID as well as after the infection onset. The author said, in most studies, the vitamin D level was determined several days after the onset of infection. So a low vitamin D level may be the result and not the trigger of the course of infection. This study, however, followed over 1,600 hospitalized patients, 784 who had their vitamin D levels measured within a day after admission, 817 whose vitamin D levels were known before infection. As an adjunct to this sample, Researchers also analyzed the long-term average vitamin D3 levels documented for 19 countries. The observed median vitamin D value over all collected study cohorts was about 23.2 nanograms to milliliter, which is considered insufficient. The results were remarkable. The author said as a th- at a threshold level of 30 nanograms per milliliter, Mortality decreases considerably. In addition, our analysts show that the correlation for the combined data sets intersects the axis at approximately 50 nanograms per milliliter, which suggests that this vitamin D3 blood level may prevent any excess mortality. These findings are supported not only by a large infection study showing the same optimum but also by the natural levels observed in traditional people living in the region where humanity originated from that were able to fight down most, if not all infections, in most, if not all individuals. Based on these findings, they conclude that people should test their blood levels and supplement to get their vitamin D3 levels over, over 50. Studies have already shown that one is 
pardon me, studies have already shown that one is 14 times more likely to die from COVID with vitamin D deficiency. And he links to it. The reality is that most people's levels are below 30, and many are closer to zero, especially among the elderly population. It is beyond criminal that 20 months into this endeavor, there has not been a national campaign percolating down to primary care physicians to test and supplement vitamin D levels accordingly. Think of the numerous benefits of vitamin D, from a healthier immune system and stronger bones to decreased risk for heart attack and cancer, as opposed to the risks of so many of the other things we're harnessing to supposedly fight this virus. Why on earth would vitamin D not become the new vaccine when it provides more protection against the virus than any vaccine? Johnson & Johnson, Moderna, AstraZeneca, Pfizer, Vitamin D works better than any of that. He says, what is particularly scandalous is that the authors found that black people living in northern countries have lower vitamin D levels in general, and yet there's been no governmental push to raise awareness of their vitamin D deficiency. Instead, there's a relentless effort to shame them into taking shots that are unsafe and ineffective. As the authors explain, the main cause of death from COVID stems from a what they call a cytokine storm, cytokine storm. When the body's immune system releases too many toxic cytokines as part of the inflammatory response to the virus, vitamin D is a key regulator of those cells, and the insufficient amount of vitamin D is nearly synonymous with a greater risk for a cytokine storm. In many ways, a cytokine storm is literally the outcome of vitamin D deficiency. We've had 20 months to get our vitamin D levels over 50, and certainly at least over 30. He said, I have my levels increased by approximately 50 nanograms to milliliter in a half year. Had the public been doing this at the same time, most deaths could have been avoided. Those with absorption problems could have been given the active form of vitamin D, either calcifidiol or calcitriol to raise their levels, bypassing the liver's metabolic process very quickly. Studies have shown, again, he links to it, studies have shown that almost anyone hospitalized with low levels but given the active form of D did not progress to the ICU thereafter. A new study from Turkish researchers found that even a rapid regimen of regular vitamin D3 with the aim of getting people's levels over 30 was wildly successful compared to people without supplementation. They found that those who used their treatment protocol to get their levels over 30, even if they had comorbidities, were much better off than those without comorbidities who didn't supplement. The authors concluded our treatment protocol increased the serum 25-OHD levels significantly to above 30 nanograms per milliliter within two weeks. COVID-19 cases, no comorbidities, no vitamin D treatment, uh, 25 OHD, had 1.9-fold increased risk of having hospitalization longer than eight days compared with the cases with comorbidities and vitamin D treatment. So if one believes government can violate human rights, 
and place mandates on one's body to get a job. If the government made a rule that you have to get your vitamin D level over 50 in order to get a job, at least it would be following the science. Not only are people with high D levels better off personally, unlike vaccinated individuals with low D levels, they're much less likely to affect other people by spreading D, by spreading the disease because they have lower viral loads. A meta-analysis of 23 published studies containing almost 12,000 participants found that one who is vitamin D deficient was 3.3 times more likely to get infected with SARS-CoV-2 than one who is not deficient. As a nation, we have been willing to harm our children, society, economy, mental health, and physical health with masks, lockdowns, shots, and experimental therapeutics that have zero or limited proven efficacy. Why would we not try an approach that comes with positive rather than negative side effects for our whole health? Perhaps the answer lies in what Big Pharma doesn't want us to know about the benefits of high-dose vitamin D, not just for COVID but for other ailments they rely upon for their existence. All the political policies flow downstream from there. Ain't that the truth? That is Daniel Horowitz over at The Blaze, and the article is entitled, Studies Show an Aggressive Vitamin D Campaign Could Have Prevented Nearly All COVID Deaths. You better believe I'm going to put that on my, uh, my Facebook page. So, let me make sure I understand. So, the government lies to us about health care issues. Did you, did you realize that? Do you have any idea? Well, yeah, if you were paying attention in 09, when they jammed Obamacare down our throats and called it the Affordable Care Act, that was a lie, right? I mean, does that so-called Affordable Care Act make your health care more expensive? Does your health insurance premium feel like a second mortgage? Does your sky-high deductible prevent you from going to the doctor? Do your sky-high co-pays keep you from going to the doctor? If you answered yes to any of those questions, there's a website you need to go to. It's called myfamilyhealthplan.com. And when you go there, front and center, affordable plans. It's the first thing you see. Save 30 to 50% on premiums. You get personalized health coverage, low to no deductible, no co-pays. You're like, what? How's that possible? Well, click on the button that says schedule call now and find out. MyFamilyHealthPlan.com, my buddy Art Wilborn put this together a while back. And he has been helping people save big time money on their insurance plans. And here's the great news. Um, MyFamilyHealthPlan.com, they personalize your health coverage. They don't force you to cover stuff like abortion, stuff like that that would offend your deeply held religious beliefs. 
So you go to myfamilyhealthplan.com, book a free consultation, and my buddy Art Wilborn will make sure there are no gaps in your coverage either. Save money on your insurance at myfamilyhealthplan.com. You will be so glad that you did. All right, that having been said, um, I don't know if you heard about uh, our illustrious transportation secretary, Mayor Pete, yesterday. He's being interviewed by NBC News. And Mayor Pete is kind of a goofball. Um, matter of fact, a buddy of mine over on Twitter said that... Um, <clears throat> There may be a somewhat of a reverse Rain Man thing going on here with Mayor Pete. I guess that means maybe he's the uh, idiot savant without the savant part. No, Sam Holmes. Um, because he is—he's uh, totally, totally out of touch. Let me let me give you a little taste of what uh, Mayor Pete was saying yesterday. Let's see. Let's go with the first cut. There is more envisioned in the Build Back Better law. I'll give you one example. It contains incentives to make it more affordable to buy an electric vehicle, up to a $12,500 discount, in effect, for families thinking about getting an EV. Uh, families that once they own that electric vehicle will never have to worry about gas prices again. Um, they'd sure have to worry about the rising cost of electricity, wouldn't they? In effect, you get a discount of $12,500 off of a $55,000 vehicle that you have to stop and charge up frequently. See, if people wanted these things, they would be buying these things. See, that's that's how this works. And um, and so many people have bought so many of them that the price would have come down by now. But that is not what has been happening. That's not what has been happening. So the government is trying to uh, shove them down your throat. Uh, Mayor Pete continues talking about who uh, who would benefit from having an electric car. The people who stand to benefit most from owning an EV are often rural residents uh, who have the longest distances to drive. They, they burn the most gas. <laughs> rural residents? So, like people in Montana who have to drive a lot, and you're going to have a little electric charging station every few miles out in the middle of nowhere. This guy knows nothing about the real world. Nothing, nothing, nothing. All right, let me see. Who else would benefit uh, 
Mayor Pete. And underserved urban residents in areas where uh, there are uh, high gas prices and they're lower income. So they would gain the most by having that vehicle. But these are the very residents who have not always been connected uh, to electric vehicles that are viewed as, a, as kind of a luxury item. I wonder why they're viewed as a luxury item, Mayor Pete. Have you have you thought that one out? Is it because low-income folks in urban areas can't afford electric vehicles? Could that possibly have something to do with it? I mean, this is this is nuts. This is nuts. Uh, but here's more. Transportation Secretary Mayor Pete. If we can make an electric vehicle less expensive for everybody, more people can take advantage, and we'll be building and, and selling more American-made EVs, uh, which means over time they'll become less expensive to make and to buy for everybody. Uh, knucklehead, idiot. Government doesn't make anything more affordable. Government doesn't make anything less expensive. Government makes things more expensive. Now, ordinarily, with a um, with a Biden administration official, I would just say, "Man, look at this guy lie." Well, Mayor Pete, um, it may not be lying. He may really not understand how anything works. I think that's entirely possible because he just doesn't come off as all that bright, you know? But regardless of whether he's lying or just dumb as a stump, if I may use the Southern colloquialism present company, um, either way, either way, the result is the same, isn't it? And that's the problem. That's the problem. But, NBC News, I mean, they're all good with it. So um, here's some more, Mayor Pete. Let me see what we got here. So that's just one example of something in the Build Back Better legislation that would be great news on top of all the work that we're going to be doing right now to deliver the bill that just passed. That's going to be plenty to keep me busy for quite a while. Plenty to keep me busy for quite a while? Did that... uh, Two-month maternity leave, did that kind of leave you with a backlog of things to take care of? We didn't even know he was gone. Uh, It it makes it look like this position of uh, transportation secretary might actually be kind of a figurehead Make work kind of thing, you know what I'm saying? Guy's a joke. I ain't gonna lie, fam. The guy's a joke. I mean, how did he? How did he wind up on the national stage in the first place? He was a mayor of a very small town. It wasn't even the top 300 towns in America or cities. Failed mayor of a very small city, South Bend, Indiana. 
serious crime problems, serious infrastructure problems. Oh, yes. Oh, yes, children, infrastructure problems. So Biden's handlers decided to make him Secretary of Transportation. But the first anybody heard of him outside of South Bend, Indiana, was when he was actually trying to run for president. Now, why would a guy with that kind of resume, mayor of a very small town, think, oh, I should run for president? Now, I was not a fly on the wall whenever he talked to a consultant about it, but I'm sure, see, consultants get paid to tell people who don't have a chance to become president, hey, you'd be great. You're going to be a great candidate. You're going to win this thing. I'm feeling my bones. Uh, is that the check? Yeah, thank you. Thank you for all the money. But I'm thinking even in the case of Mayor Pete, a consultant might have had some, some qualms. I mean, well, no, kidding. Wait a minute. You're mayor of a small city, not even one of the top 300 in America. You guys have serious problems with uh, crime and potholes, et cetera, et cetera. So why is it you think you could successfully run for president? I could just imagine the answer. Okay, well, you know, um, you know that thing in the Bible where it says uh, it's an abomination uh, for like a man to have sex with a man. Yeah. Well, I do that. Oh, well, in that case, yeah, you, uh, you might really appeal to the, uh, the Democrat base voters. And I, why didn't you tell me? Yeah. The Democrat voting block. Yeah. They, they might, they might vote for you simply because of that. And, and who cares about whether you're, uh, you know, you have any competency at even leading a small city, much less, uh, the United States of America. Yeah, okay, you might get somewhere with that. And then, of course, a few primaries into the season, he uh, drops out, endorses Dementia Joe, and then gets appointed to the cabinet. So that's how that works. But uh, clearly, um, his political career has nothing to do with anyone laboring under the impression that he is competent at anything. At anything. And that's a shame. Because, you know, um, call me crazy, but uh, competence, I think, is something that uh, we're sorely lacking at this point. Yeah, that's what we need. That's what we need. Now, um, in case you're wondering, this um, unusual article came out on CNN yesterday afternoon. World's first living robots can now reproduce, scientists say. What could possibly go wrong? Don't criticize me. You're criticizing me. You're criticizing science. I stand for science. Yeah. Well, so does this thing, right? The U.S. scientists who created the first living robots say the life forms known as xenobots can now reproduce and in a way not seen in plants and animals. Yeah, great idea. Why did I think of that? Formed from the stem cells 
of the African clawed frog, from which it takes its name, Xenobots are less than a milli, uh, less than a millimeter wide. The tiny blobs were first unveiled in 2020 after experiments showed that they could move, work together in groups, and self-heal. Now, the scientists that developed them at the University of Vermont, Tufts University, and Harvard University's Weiss Institute for Biologically Inspired Engineering said they have discovered an entirely new form of biological reproduction different from any animal or plant known to science. Michael Levin. Or is it Levin? Michael Levin, professor of biology and director of the Allen Discovery Center at Tufts University, who was co-lead author of the new research, says, I was astounded by it. He said, frogs have a way of reproducing that they normally use, but when you liberate the cells from the rest of the embryo and you give them a chance to figure out how to be in a new environment, not only do they figure out a new way to move, but they also figure out, apparently, a new way to reproduce. Oh, man. Oh, man. This is nuts, man. This is... uh. And they got video. Okay. And they got video. So again, what could possibly go wrong here? World's first living robots can now reproduce. Scientists say, sure, that's got to be great news. That's just, yeah, I'm just so excited about this. Not. <clears throat> it's, um. It's nuts. Now, this, this, Omicron, this Omicron variant, which is an anagram for moronic, because it's moronic that people would think that something with the symptoms of a mild cold would be uh, something to get worried about. But hey, but hey, Fox News this morning, the Chiron at the bottom of the screen, concerns melt over Omicron variant. Really? No, we're done, man. We're done. No, we're done. We're done. Anyway, a lot of people talking about it out there in social media. Um, how did the Omicron variant get into Australia if the unvaccinated can't leave or enter the island nation? This is where the narrative falls apart. If people can't see it now, there's no hope. We have to stand up once and for all or it will never stop. Okay. The great Zeke Arkem on Twitter says, COVID-19 is a treatable virus. Lockdowns, masks, mandated vaccines are doing more harm to Americans than the actual virus. The current administration has the ultimate goal of making billions of dollars, controlling its sheep, controlling the election, and destroying America. That's true. That's true. No question. A question. Michaela Rose J over on Twitter says, last year we didn't have an uptick in heart attacks. Last year we didn't have an uptick in blood clots. Last year we didn't have an uptick in stillborns. Last year we didn't have an uptick in cardiac arrests. 
No, see, because last year we didn't have the vaccine. I say that out loud. This is it's 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 so wonderful having the freedom not to worry about. Uh oh, I can't get near this topic or I'll get fired. I can't get near that topic or I'll get fired. You know, you can't talk about the thousands of people that have died because of the vaccine when you're still doing commercial talk radio. Can't do it. Can't do it. Uh, you can't talk about uh, the stolen election. We're still doing commercial talk radio. But see, I don't have a problem with that now. I say what I want to say. I say what I need to say. So, um, there was big news about Twitter yesterday. And ordinarily, I wouldn't talk about this on the show because... A whole lot of people who listen to talk radio or listen to podcasts um, don't don't do Twitter. You know what I'm saying? But it is kind of important, and I'd like to tell you why. Um. I discovered why Twitter was important. Man, I'm getting great comments here from people listening live on the uh, the Podbean app, and I really appreciate it. I really appreciate it. Um, Rabba Bub says, you're on fire today, Doc. Love the show, love the energy, love the humor. Keep it up, good sir. Um Janie W. says they're using Omicron to target children for vaccines. They sure are. They sure are. Let me, uh, now Twitter may not be important to you, but because of what I do for a living, I discovered that I have to be on it. I don't have any choice. And in case you're thinking that that doesn't make any sense, let me tell you what I discovered. So it was the spring of 2014. Um, it's before I got the job in Little Rock, Arkansas, and I was uh, still doing some fill-in work for my hometown station, a thing called News Talk 1110, WBT, Charlotte. Man, that was fun saying that. Anyway, I was doing fill-in work for them for my home in Panama City, Florida. So it was a weekday afternoon in the spring of 2014, and I'm just fiddling around on Twitter, looking at breaking news and stuff. And at 4.43 in the afternoon, on a particular day, I saw a tweet that said, active shooter at Fort Hood, Texas right now. I'm thinking, wait, again? Because, you know, there had been one in 09. He murdered 14 people. And so now, again, there was one in 2014. I'm like, oh, my goodness. So Panama City had two FM talk radio stations, and I had two radios. So I turned them both on. Sean Hannity was on one of them, and a guy out of Tampa named Todd Schnitt was on the other one. And neither one of them were talking about the active shooter at Fort Hood. And I'm like, well, that's weird. Because when I opened up the tweet, it linked to a TV station. I can't remember if it was Waco, Texas, or Colleen Temple, Texas, because both of them kind of close to Fort Hood. But the, anyway, this TV station, this was legit. They had 
suspended regular programming, and they were, their news people were broadcasting live from outside Fort Hood. So I knew it was a real thing. But um, neither one of the nationally syndicated talk shows, uh, Sean Hannity or Todd Schnitt, had it. And this is 4.43 p.m. Central, because Panama City, Florida is central time zone. So anyway, uh, top of the hour rolls around, 5 o'clock Central, and both shows go off. Fox News Radio comes on one station. ABC Radio News comes on the other station. And I thought, well, surely they'll talk about it. No, they didn't have it. Huh, weird. So at 5.06 Central, Mark Levin started on one station. And a guy who used to do a syndicated show named Andy Dean started on the other station. And they didn't have it until about 18 minutes after 5, coming out of the first commercial break. They had been, you know, they had gotten this breaking news about active shooter Fort Hood, and that was all they talked about because that was a huge story. So it dawned on me right then and there that if I had been doing a talk show that day, I would have had a scoop over four nationally syndicated talk radio hosts and two national radio networks because I happened to be looking at Twitter and I happened to see this breaking news. And so I realized that especially when I started doing talk radio again full-time, which they did a few months later when Cumulus Media uh, flew me into uh, Little Rock, Arkansas and put a contract in front of me, I realized that even while I was doing the show, I would have to keep some tabs open on a computer in front of me on Twitter just in case some news broke, you know? Uh, because Twitter had it way before everybody else had it. So when people say, hey, Twitter's getting worse and worse, why don't you get off of it and go to Parler or go to MeWe or go to, um, gosh, what's the other one that, that, that Bongino's doing? Um, having a mental block. Anyway, a bunch of different other, well, there's Gab, there's MeWe, there's Parler. There are all kinds of different places to go. You forget Twitter. Come over here and do this. Um, if I wasn't doing a talk show every day, yeah, locals.com. Yeah, there it is. Thank you, Janie. Um, if I wasn't doing a talk show, which is, you know, let's face it. You can call it a live stream. You call it a podcast. It's not on radio, but it's still a talk show. If I wasn't doing that every day, then, yeah, I wouldn't have to be on Twitter because – you don't have to be up on breaking news, you know? If I was retired or something like that. But I'm not retired or something like that. I am doing a talk show every day, so I have to keep up with breaking news. And so when I went to Little Rock, Arkansas to do the um, the local talk show, I realized, okay, i got to have a list of all the local reporters in that city, the newspaper reporters and the... Um, and the television reporters already had a list of uh, folks that do uh, national news. Okay? So that's kind of how people who do what I do um, that's how we... Uh, keep up with breaking news. 
So, the CEO of Twitter stepped down yesterday and he was replaced by another guy who has said some um, some racist stuff. He, he didn't have the sense to uh, delete uh, some of his past racist tweets. Like when he implied that all white people are racist, you know, stuff like that. Um, and now today, within 24 hours, this new CEO of Twitter, uh, Parag Agrawal, guy from India, within 24 hours, he lays down this, um, this new rule Uh, beginning today, we will not allow the sharing of private media, such as images or videos of private individuals without their consent. Publishing people's private info is also prohibited under the policy as is threatening or incentivizing others to do so. So, under that policy, The only thing you would have known about Kyle Rittenhouse was whatever the mainstream media told you because Twitter would not have allowed the videos clearly showing self-defense. You, you see where I'm going here? Uh, comedian Tim Young responds, so under this policy, the FBI would not have had the ability to search for January 6th people on Twitter. Local law enforcement can't post images of criminals they're searching for. And missing children's images can't be posted to help them. Got it. Um, another one says, uh, remember that whole Arab Spring thing when Twitter was so proud of the role they played in helping ordinary people stand up to tyrannical governments? No, clearly, clearly you don't. This policy would have shut down those tweets. Another guy says, uh, Carmine Sabia says, in other words, if we have photos, videos, or information that goes against the narrative that Twitter and the media want, it'll be deleted. Got it. Got it. Comedian Tim Young says, I can only imagine the lengths to which this will be used to ban everyone you don't like. Everybody should get on uh, Getter, G-E-T-T-R. Oh, that's another. That's another... Uh, Alternative that's out there. You got Gab, you got Getter, you got uh, Locals.com. You got Parlor, MeWe. Um, all kinds of. I thought somebody, I thought Dan Bongino was with a company that bought Locals.com. I don't remember. Rumble, Rumble, Rumble. Yeah, 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 yeah. Rumble, bit shoot. You got all these different places out there. Um, but anyway, so yeah, so this new CEO uh, sounds like a real authoritarian. Shutting down free speech big time on Twitter. Big time, big time. Just so you know. Just so you know. Now, I, I wanna I wanna give you an update 
on what's going on with uh, the unconstitutional attempt by the Democrats' political January 6th committee to go after former President Trump. Know what I'm saying? But before I do that, before I do that, the great John Cardillo links to a video with Bill O'Reilly talking to Donald Trump, and it's only about 40 seconds long. And Cardillo says Trump still doesn't understand. And John Cardillo is the biggest Trump fan in the world. Okay? But he says Trump still doesn't understand that personnel is policy and that power-drunk evil tyrant Noam Fauci played him destroying lives and businesses in the process. This is an incredibly frustrating clip, but we got to have our eyes wide open. It's 45 seconds long. Here you go. Why didn't you fire Fauci? Everybody hates Fauci. Well, it didn't matter because I did pretty much the opposite of what he would suggest. <laughs> but you still had him. No, he's been there a long time. I actually got along with him very well. Call me Tony. He goes, call me Tony, sir. Uh, <laughs> call me Tony. He was a much better promoter than he was a doctor. But you didn't fire him. No, I didn't fire him. He, he said, uh, let, let them come in from China. Months after I closed it, I Don't said, no, I'm not going to. In hindsight, you should have sacked him. Come on. He had, he had much less influence in my administration. Optics. Well, look, I mean, Tony, one, one more, wait, one wait one second. Tony Fauci said, masks are no good. Don't wear masks. I, I now he's you a, all know that. Now he's a radical master. Why didn't you fire him? Uh, and, and he's been there a long time. Yeah, it's frustrating, all right. That's frustrating. O'Reilly keeps on hammering. Why didn't you fire him? Well, he's been there a long time. Why didn't you fire him? Well, he didn't have that much influence. Why didn't you get rid of him? Well, he's been there a long time. Again, John Cardillo, who holds the card, biggest Trump fan I've ever come across on social media, says Trump still doesn't understand that personnel is policy and that power-drunk, evil tyrant Noam Fauci played him destroying lives and businesses in the process. This is an incredibly frustrating clip. He did have influence, President Trump, with all due respect. He and Dr. Burks, the people who talked you into destroying the economy, 50 days to stop the spread. He did have influence. I'm sorry, but it is what it is, fam. Not even going to lie. Yeah, that's uh, that's very frustrating. Okay, so you got this committee in the um, in the Constitution that um, pardon me, got this committee in in the Congress that is trying to. Um, do what they can to take away President Trump's constitutional rights. And Julie Kelly is talking about what's going on today. She says, arguments now, arguments now before D.C. Circuit on Trump's appeal of Judge Chutkin's rejection of Trump's claim 
of executive privilege to prevent January 6th committee to access his official records. And she says, I explained the ruling here. So let's look at her column real quick. Obama judge sides with January 6th committee, denies Trump's executive privilege claims. And this is what, uh, just short column that came out earlier this month. She says, in a 34-page ruling issued Tuesday night, D.C. District Court Judge Tanya Chutkin, and this was on a Tuesday in early November, denied Donald Trump's request for injunctive relief to prevent the January 6th Select Committee from obtaining privileged information currently housed in the National Archives. In August, Representative Benny Thompson, Democrat Mississippi, chairman of the committee, demanded a wide range of White House records of the previous administration related to how the January 6th events fit in the continuum of efforts to subvert the rule of law, overturn the results of the November 3rd, 2020 election, or otherwise impede the peaceful transfer of power. The National Archives notified the committee a few days later it would comply with a request for documents. Joe Biden twice denied Trump's claims of executive privilege, something without precedent, which Judge Chutkin noted when she said this case presents the first instance in which a former president asserts executive privilege over records for which the sitting president has refused to assert executive privilege. Biden's White House counsel further instructed the archives to turn over all requested material within 60 days. Speaking on behalf of Joe Biden, whose unlawful election was a subject of the January 6th protest, White House counsel Dana Remus explained why. Quoting now, Congress has a compelling need in service of its legislative functions to understand the circumstances that led to these horrific events. The documents shed light on events within the White House on and about January 6th and bear on the Select Committee's need to understand the facts underlying the most serious attack on the operations of the federal government since the Civil War. Man, what a lie. People walking around taking selfies. These are unique and extraordinary circumstances. The constitutional protections of executive privilege should not be used to shield from Congress or the public information that reflects a clear and apparent effort to subvert the Constitution itself, unquote. Now, Judge Chutkin agreed with Benny Thompson, chairman of the committee, explaining that Biden's position on executive privilege outweighed Trump's position. Judge Chutkin was appointed by Barack Obama in 2014, and she routinely lectures January 6th defendants from the bench. She has ordered jail time for four defendants who pleaded guilty to parading in the Capitol. A low-level misdemeanor overruling prosecutors' requests for probation or home detention. Judge Chutkin warned one defendant, quote, there have to be consequences for, for, for participating in an attempted violent overthrow of the government, unquote. But the person was just walking around, taking selfies. There was no attempt of violent overthrow of the government. She knows that she doesn't care. She's a liar. She's a political hack. Anyway, During a hearing a few weeks ago, in Trump's case, Judge Chuckin described January 6th as a riot and condemned Americans for defiling what she called Congress's house. 
While acknowledging the committee cast a wide net for documents, the timeline dates back to April 2020 in an effort to capture all communications related to the 2020 presidential election and Trump's claims that the election was illegitimate. Judge Chuckin agreed with the committee's broad scope based on the premise that it is, quote, necessary to investigate the extent to which the January 6th attack on the Capitol may have been an outgrowth outgrowth of a sustained effort to overturn the 2020 election results involving individuals both in and outside government, unquote. In rejecting Trump's additional argument that the committee has not yet identified potential legislation Congress could pass as a result of the committee's work, Judge Chuckin imagined a detailed list of new laws that might be enacted to prevent future so-called attacks on the Capitol, including punishment for members of Congress, quote, who engaged in insurrection or rebellion or gave aid or comfort to the enemies thereof, unquote, a clear swipe at Republican lawmakers accused of inciting the events of January 6th and changes to intelligence agencies that would allow the government to target domestic threats to elections. Judge Chuckin suggested, quote, these are just a few examples of potential reforms that Congress might, as a result of the select committee's work, conclude are necessary or appropriate to securing democratic processes, deterring violent extremism, protecting fair elections, and ensuring the peaceful trans- transition of power, unquote. Democrat Representative Benny, Tom- Benny Thompson praised Judge Chuckin's ruling in a statement in which he said this decision affirms the importance of the select committee's work to get answers for the American people, recommend changes to the law to strengthen our democracy, and help ensure nothing like the attack of January 6th ever happens again. So, that's Julie Kelly's article from earlier this month, Obama judge sides with January 6th committee denies Trump's executive privilege claims. So what's happening today? What's happening today, pardon me, arguments now before D.C. Circuit on Trump's appeal of Judge Chuckin's rejection of Trump's claim of executive privilege to prevent January 6th committee to access his official records. Judges Millett, Wilkins, and Jackson presiding. Jesse Benall representing Trump. Joe Biden has denied Trump's claims of executive privilege at least twice. Judges now questioning Trump's authority to override Biden's unprecedented denial of executive privilege for a past president. National Archivist has agreed to begin producing documents requested by Pelosi's committee. This includes documents, correspondence, meeting, and call logs dating back to April 2020. Nothing to do with January 6th, everything to do with Trump's efforts to stop election fraud. Jesse Benal, Trump's lawyer, asking court to enjoin archivist from producing subset of documents Trump has marked as executive privilege. Argument, argument is related to authority of Presidential Records Act, constitutional separation of powers, and statutory claims of executive privilege. So Democrats create a special legislative vehicle to investigate past president and everyone around them. A U.S. president for the first time denies executive privilege to a former president authorizing highly politicized congressional committee to obtain records far before official deadline. Slippery slope here. One judge questioning Biden's broad brush denial of executive privilege 
and she has the White House counsel first letter denying Trump's claims. Judge Jackson asks, who decides the current occupant or the former occupant? The decision is whether to accommodate or resist the legislative branch. Why should the former president make that determination? And we're looking at this as to who decides. Why should he? Julie Kelly says it's sort of amazing to listen to this hearing without any acknowledgement that Biden's decision is purely political, that the January 6th committee is doing his political dirty work and has nothing to do with national security. Okay, another stupid hypothetical. How are courts supposed to resolve the contest between the two? How do we weigh the competing claims, these very grave disagreements? It's a stupid hypothetical because a president waiving executive privilege to obtain documents related to foreign relations and former president objecting. Trump's lawyer won't answer the hypothetical because it's stupid and has nothing to do with this. Judges avoiding the overtly political nature of Biden's denial of executive privilege and pretending that it's a legitimate national interest. Judge Jackson. On Dementia Joe's shortlist for Supreme Court, arguing loudly that the current president's rights overcome confidential rights of former president. Judge Jackson says the incumbent gets to the side and every law supports this. Trump's lawyer, Jesse Benal, then points out the court's jurisdiction from statute. Judge Jackson says, what is the court supposed to do? There's no deference given to the current president? Attorney Benal says, no, needs objective tests. Court raises Nixon versus GSA as a case law that current president rules. All three judges are Obama appointees. Judge Millett says, we have one president at a time. The former president loses, she says of uh, Nixon versus the GSA. Attorney Banal arguing other factors should be weighed. Court asks what factors. What else are we supposed to weigh? Judges confronting Trump's attorney, Jesse Banal, why he hasn't articulated certain documents should remain confidential. Not sure why no one raising the political nature of January 6th committee and Biden's executive privilege claims. This is pure political revenge. Hope the Republican Party is paying attention. Yeah, I mean, shouldn't uh, Trump's attorney be bringing that up? Judge Wilkins making clear precedent favors. Okay, he's making clear that he believes precedent favors the incumbent president, citing the Nixon case law. Judge Millett says, please stop. Doesn't matter if documents are entitled to executive privilege. Incumbent has waived it. Judge Millett says, you're going to have to change the score on that score scoreboard. Judge Jackson says, Trump needs to show court the harm that waiving executive privilege causes. Judge Clark says, harm to the Constitution argues that statutory confidentiality for a period of time for a reason. Okay, wait, 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 wait. Let me, let me go back here. I see. Pardon me. Clark is not a judge. Clark is apparently co-counsel for the president with Jesse Benal. Okay? Sorry for the confusion there. Okay, so 
So defense attorney Clark says the harm of a current president waiving executive privilege rights of a former president, he says the Constitution is harmed. So statutory confidentiality is for a period of time for a reason. LOL, Judge Jackson says incumbent knows best the confidentiality interest for executive branch, has relationship with his legislative branch. Everyone pretending pretending Biden is an objective player here. Trump's defense attorney Clark finally raising factors of releasing embarrassing content about a political rival. The court confronting Clark about non-specificity of which documents should be protected. Clark admits they don't have a specific list yet, still not arguing that overt political nature of the committee and Biden's response, etc. Well, they should. Judge Miller commends Trump for going through all requested documents. Biden team up next. Long list of lawyers, including Mary McCord, the Where's Waldo of lawfare inside and outside government against Trump. Judge Miller interrupts to claim that we have one president at a time, says former president does have standing and executive privilege claims, though. Judge Millett says, what is envisioned that former president can make to overcome decision silenced by incumbent on executive privilege? Doug Letter, lawyer for Congress, trying to explain why incumbent should overrule former president. Judge Millett now raising hypothetical angle of denial or political angle of denial. Takes office and wants every confidential document for revenge. So, so the judge finally brings it up. An Obama-appointed judge brings up what Trump's attorney should have brought up a long time ago. Um, so Doug Letter, lawyer for Congress, says, what if he fomented an insurrection? Judge Millett says, no, no, I'm not going to make it that easy. I'm going to avenge my predecessor. Doug Letter, lawyer for Congress, says it's a difficult hypothetical, and he dismisses the idea an incumbent will want to waive privilege to punish his former rival. Of course, that is exactly what Biden is doing. I mean, Biden has said the documents shed light on events within the White House on and about January 6th and bear on the select committee's need to understand the facts underlying the most serious attack on the operations of the federal government since the Civil War. These are unique and extraordinary circumstances. The constitutional protections of executive privilege should not be used to shield from Congress or the public information that reflects a clear and apparent effort to subvert the Constitution itself. Judge Millett keeps on pushing the lawyer for Congress, this, this guy Letter. He keeps on pushing Doug Letter. Pardon me. To answer Earth hypothetical, Judge Millett, female. Wants Doug Letter to answer her hypothetical, which is far closer to reality than her previous hypothetical. Doug Letter, lawyer for Congress, says, highly unrealistic hypothetical. Oh, it's highly unrealistic that uh, Biden would want to be uh, punishing his predecessor. Oh, I see. Judge Wilkins says the statute doesn't tell us what to do, but the Constitution does. The current president holds sway as head of the executive branch. Judge Millett steps into the dispute, says former president still has standing. Back to original hypothetical. 
Former president argues national security issues as incumbent wants to expose all documents for revenge, but puts people at risk, such as foreign agents. People will die. And Judge Wilkins, uh, pardon me, then Judge Millett again asks Doug Letter, attorney for the Constitution, what to do. He insists it's still the incumbent's choice. He says, nowhere close to what we face as a nation until now. Oh, oh, fomenting an insurrection. An unarmed insurrection where people uh, mill around and take selfies and stay within the rope line. These people are evil. I ain't going to lie, fam. These people are evil. Judge Wilkins says, why do we not do a weighing of the interests? Raises the hypothetical of four former presidents objecting to incumbent waiving executive privilege on confidential documents. Lawyer for the Congress, Doug Letter, says incumbent decision still prevails. Julie Kelly says this actually is a very interesting debate. I doubt this court will rule in favor of Trump, but discussion is worthy on both sides and a good future study. I thought these judges would give Team Biden a pass. They are not. Judge Millett notes Congress and the executive branch are politically aligned. Doug Letter, lawyer for Congress, says Trump has no official capacity. Quote, if we do any balancing, Biden still wins. There's no clash here between the branches. He says Biden made clear why January 6th should get, committee should get the documents. Judge Wilkins still pushing on the need to balance the requests. <clears throat> says, don't we have to consider the scope of the request, the scope of the burden? Again, lawyer for Congress, Doug Letter says, nah. Judge Wilkins asks, Doug Letter, if the court has standing to overrule congressional claims on executive privilege, but not the incumbent president. Doug Letter, lawyer for Congress, says yes, again emphasizes the branches are not in conflict in waiving executive privilege for Trump. Doug Letter says only incumbent knows best interest of executive branch. He says it would be astonishing for this court to override the incumbent president and Congress on executive privilege. Judge Chuck can ruling in favor of Biden, he says, is indisputable. The January 6th committee rules and confidentiality, same as the House, so they could publicly release documents. Doug Letter also says neither president nor courts can order documents remain confidential. He says Congress could discipline a member who violates confidentiality, which is a big LOL, because Adam Schiff is on the January 6th committee. He does that all the time. Doug Letter says, presume Congress acts in good faith. Judge Wilkins suggests the court could impose some sort of protective order or limitations to ensure confidentiality. Judge Jackson says, if we were to affirm D.C. District Court denial, would records be released immediately? Doug Letter says, injunction dissolves records disclosed immediately. Judge Millett Asks about committee timetable. Doug Letter, lawyer for Congress, says he doesn't know. Committee moving very, very rapidly. Well, sounds better than we have to do this before Republicans take over the House. <laughs> Attorney for DOJ, Boynton, gets up now, about an hour ago, says extraordinary events of January 6th. He sets up Judge Millett. Yeah, it was extraordinary. Right? It was a setup by the feds. Judge Millett notes the document requests date back to April 2020 beyond the scope of the January 6th events. She presents her politicized hypothetical again to Boynton, 
the attorney for the DOJ, says this happened pretty quickly on the heels of Biden taking the White House. This is a unique situation. And, pardon me, Boynton admits Biden's denial of Trump's executive privilege claims are unprecedented. Jackson asked Boynton, representing the National Archives, if he agrees the incumbent's view always wins. Boynton says, mostly, not always. They want a caveat to protect Democrat president in the future is pretty obvious. Judge Millett returns to her political political hypothetical about immediately denying executive privilege for predecessor because this happened so quickly after Biden took office. She says, circumstances in this case are extraordinary due to the attack on the Capitol. Oh, no, that's the response she gets from the DOJ attorney. Sorry. So four-hour disturbance is extraordinary. So the hearing uh, finished uh, less than 20 minutes ago with no ruling yet on whether Trump gets to continue to um, claim executive privilege on thousands of pages of documents that the bad guys want for their January 6th committee that they know has no connection whatsoever. No connection whatsoever to January 6th. Know what I'm saying? All right, now, that having been said, that having been said, there is a, um, there's a congresswoman out of South Carolina who recently was elected Republican U.S. Representative, Nancy Mace. Nancy Mace. And she wants people to think that she is a conservative. But um, she doesn't always come out off that way. She represents South Carolina's first congressional district. She took office less than a year ago. Her district includes much of South Carolina's share of the East Coast from Charleston to Hilton Head Island. And um, somebody put together a fascinating little montage here. The difference between when you're on Fox News and when you're on CNN. So we start with Nancy Mace on Fox News, okay? Uh, in some studies that I've read, natural immunity gives you 27 times more protection against future COVID infection than a vaccination. And so we need to take all of the science into account and not selectively choosing what science to follow when we are making policy decisions. Uh, and and I, I've been. So that was her on Fox, okay? Now, does she sing a different tune on CNN? 
I've been a proponent of vaccinations and, and wearing masks when we need to. When we had the Delta variant raging in South Carolina, I wrote an op-ed to my community. And I've worked with our State Department of Health. I've run ads encouraging uh, my district to go and get vaccinated. And when we have these variants and we have these spikes to take every precaution from washing our hands to wearing the N95 or KN95 masks uh, more than the medical masks, there is a significant, statistically significant uh, number of people that are protected from COVID when they wear those masks. And I just, re I just returned from the Indo-Pacific region. Uh, I, uh, and so wow. Looks like she did it the same day. She's wearing the same blouse, the same creases up around the neckline. On Fox, she's talking about the importance of natural immunity from having already had the China virus on CNN. Vaccine, 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 vaccine. Wow. Wow. I wouldn't trust Nancy Mace as far as I can uh, as far as I could throw um I don't know, Chris Christie and his slightly chunkier cousin simultaneously. No I'm saying fam. That's uh That's crazy. Uh, going back to um, Julie Kelly for just a second here. Uh, the great Julie Kelly in American Greatness. The FBI Washington field office is talking about a Rhode Island man has been charged with assault on law enforcement during the January 6th Capitol breach. He's accused of assaulting officers with a wooden object, and they link to their press release about this guy out of Rhode Island. And Judy, Julie Kelly quotes from the press release, quote, video footage depicts Desjardins, that's the guy's last name, assaulting multiple law enforcement officers in the tunnel area of the lower west terrace of the Capitol, at approximately 4.46 p.m. on January 6th, using what appears to be a broken wooden table leg, unquote. And Julie Kelly says, Really? Release the tapes then. They have 14,000 hours of video footage that they won't release. Somebody responded, They don't have to release any tapes, Julie. This stuff is not even on tapes. They have all the evidence they need to prosecute and will continue to get convictions or please." for these seditious traitors, uh, to which Julie Kelly responds, it's all on tape, including what police did to protesters and Roseanne Boyland. And it is. And it looks like they killed her. But anyway, yeah, no, I, no, no, I don't think Ashley uh, Babbitt is the only American that was killed by law enforcement at the Capitol on January 6th. But anyway, I digress. I digress. There's a lot going on today. A lot going on today. And, um, <clears throat> you know, it's, uh, it's, it's interesting when you, when you, when you try to come up with, uh, say for instance, the tweet of the day, 
there are so many there are so many worthy contestants you know for the tweet of the day but um Okay, well, yeah, yeah, no, 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 we, we can, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's why I made it a priority my entire... No, 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 that's the wrong one. That's the wrong one. Yeah, yeah, here it is. We interrupt this program to bring you a special report. It's the Doc Washburn Show Tweet of the Day. All right, Tweet of the Day brought to you, of course, by our friends at Red River Your Way, the nationwide car dealership that believes in freedom. Your freedom to buy the car, truck, van, SUV you want the way you want to. You buy it online, choose your own payment options there, and they deliver it to your door anywhere in America. Tweet of the Day brought to you by RedRiverYourWay.com. All right. So today's Tweet of the Day, this is amazing. This guy has this tweet of, uh, of Biden. Okay. And it's only about 12 seconds long in this video. He says, imagine it wasn't stolen and the 81 million so-called votes were actually real voters. We would be an idiocracy. Please tell me we're not. And this is what Biden said. That's why I made it a priority in my entire career to work closely with you. From the time I got to the Senate 180 years ago, <laughs> you know, as well as my tenure as vice president. From the time he got to the Senate 180 years ago, and he chuckled because he's thinking, hmm, is that right? As well as my 10 years as vice president. It's just eight. He says, please tell me this guy didn't actually get 81 million votes from real voters. That's our tweet of the day. And um, I responded. I said, we all know it was stolen. Even the folks on Fox News know it was stolen. Now, some of them like that and some of them don't. But none of them are allowed to say it. Nobody on Fox News is allowed to say the election was stolen. I wasn't allowed to say it either until I was fired for refusing to get the vaccination. Now I say it every day on my podcast and I link to docwashburnshow.com. Yeah, that guy. The guy who thinks he came to the Senate 180 years ago. Yeah, that's the guy that we're supposed to believe got 81 million votes, right? That's the guy we're supposed to believe, you know, most popular president in the history of the United States. And it's ridiculous. And you know it's ridiculous. We all do. But see, publicly proclaiming the fact that the election was stolen is like the old story of saying the emperor has no clothes, you know? Can't do it. Can't do it. It's not allowed. It's absolutely not allowed. 
That's why I'm thankful. I'm thankful for this platform. Now, we were talking a little bit ago about the January 6th committee. Oh, and by the way, and I'm thankful for RedRiverYourWay.com sponsoring our Tweet of the Day each day. Talking a little bit ago about the January 6th committee, this uh, political witch hunt. Robert Krejcik over at Breitbart has a story. Former New York City Police Department Commissioner Bernie Carrick told Breitbart News on Sunday Democrats fabricated claims and lied in a subpoena issued to him by a House committee ostensibly investigating the events of January 6th. The subpoena sent to Bernie Carrick by the select committee to investigate the January 6th attack on the United States Capitol included false claims about his whereabouts on January 5th drawn from far left-wing political commentators and news media, including Bob Woodward's 2021 book, Fear, Rage, and Peril, in the Washington Post. You know, speaking of um, the Washington Post, I'm reminded of the late, great G. Gordon Liddy, the G-Man, affection known to some as the G-Man. And whenever he would quote the uh, Washington Post, he had, a, he had a nickname for him. And now it's time to take a look at an article from Washington, D.C.'s quaint little alternative daily, the Washington Beep. And I found it to be humorous. But maybe, maybe, maybe had to be there. Maybe. Maybe had to be there. Uh, anyway, oh, oh, this is good. Federal government run out of money in three days. Oh, that's fantastic. See, because I don't know how many Republicans in Congress have noted, but the, uh, the Democrats in charge of our government are trying to bring this country to its knees. They're trying to destroy our freedom, to destroy our way of life. And so the Republicans should hold fast on that there filibuster there in the, uh, in the Senate, you know? And shut down the government. That's what they should do. Federal government run out of money in three days while legislative pileup has continued to plague Senator Chuck Schumer. What does the rush call him? Chuck U. Schumer? Who failed on Monday to pass a routine defense bill to clear legislative calendar days to pass a $1.9 trillion reconciliation package. Okay, well, hang tough, Republicans, you know. Surprise us. Surprise us and hang tough. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah, that'd be good. No, I'd be shocked. I'd be shocked if they did, but they should. Now, earlier in the show, I played a clip of Bill O'Reilly needling Donald Trump about why on earth didn't you fire Fauci? Well, you know, he's been there a long time. Yeah, but why didn't you fire him? Well, I didn't really follow uh, what he said. But why didn't you fire him? Well, he's been there a long time. It was so frustrating. You know, if you made some serious mistakes 
And again, taking Tony Fauci's word on the idea that we need to shut the government down, shut the country, not the government. Sorry, I'm getting mixed metaphors here. Shut the country down, shut the economy down. 15 days to slow the spread. That was a major mistake. Major mistake, okay? All right. And Trump needs to own up to that if he ever wants to run for anything again. Now, Julie Kelly in America Greatness has a new column out called The Madness of Anthony Fauci. Subtitle, rather than own up to his disastrous policy medical device, Fauci instead is accelerating his messianic impulses. She says it's nearly impossible to select the most maniacal comment made by Dr. Anthony Fauci in his nearly 70-minute interview with Face the Nation host Margaret Brennan that aired over the weekend. Joe Biden's chief coronavirus advisor and miniature global menace spent more than an hour denying responsibility for his documented mistakes, bragging about his self-appointed role as the world's doctor, hogging credit for the vaccines, and attacking anyone who has challenged his unrivaled ego and track record of failure, portraying himself as a victim rather than the cruel, megalomaniacal target tyrant that he is. Fauci took aim at Donald Trump, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, Senators Rand Paul and Ted Cruz, and congressional co-sponsors of the Fire Fauci Act, which would zero out the salary of the federal government's highest-paid bureaucrat and audit Fauci's correspondence and financial transactions during the pandemic. While declaring, I represent science, Fauci humbly graded the scientific approach to the pandemic as an A+, while incongruently warning about a fifth wave of the virus and explaining away one scientific stumble after another from useless temperature checks to the need for biannual booster shots and randomly claiming the virus spread is 40 to 50 to 60% asymptomatic. But science! Of all his alarming remarks, however, Fauci's push to get experimental vaccines for babies and young children to market as quickly as possible is the most depraved. When asked by Brennan, who has spent the better part of two years asking Fauci how to run her life and the lives of 330 million Americans, when she asked Fauci, when he expects vaccines for children between the age of six months and five years to be available, Fauci said he hopes the shots are ready by the beginning of next year. He told Margaret Brennan, CBS Face the Nation, I would hope it would be in the first quarter because the studies are being done right now on children from two to five and then from six months to two years. I don't think there's going to be an issue with efficacy, but when you're dealing with children, it's a very sensitive area. And that's the reason why it may take a little bit longer. When parents question whether it's necessary to vaccinate children, Fauci replies, yeah, we do want to be vaccinating the children because we want to vaccinate and protect everyone in society, including children. Now, that's not the conclusion of a sound man of science, as Fauci again insisted he is in the interview, or even a man of common sense and humanity. That's a raving of a madman. Only a demon would propose injecting a child including babies who cannot yet even talk or walk with a rushed vaccine to allegedly minimize the virus that poses no serious health threat to children. Only a sociopath would dismiss parental fears 
about not just the medical necessity of the shot for the child, but also unknown side effects that their children could suffer in both the near and long term. And only a sadist, you know, someone who enjoys inflicting pain on other people, would continue to promote his own destructive policies that have inflicted incalculable human suffering but done nothing to halt the spread of a virus that is lethal to only a tiny percentage of the population. In a just world, Anthony Fauci would be giving lengthy television interviews clad in an orange jumpsuit from the confines of a federal penitentiary. Aside from his crimes against humanity, especially the tragic toll on senior citizens and young people, Fauci has clearly committed a number of crimes, including lying to Congress and the American people in his official capacity and misappropriating federal funds on ghoulish scientific experiments. He violated the Hatch Act by using his government post for political purposes. For example, the weekend before the 2020 election, Fauci told the Washington Post, Joe Biden, quote, is taking the pandemic seriously from a public health perspective, unquote. But the Trump was only looking at it from an economic standpoint. Contradicting the president, Fauci warned the country was in for a world of hurt with rising COVID-19 cases that said all the stars are aligned in the wrong place as you go into the fall and winter season. Fauci has repeatedly and treasonously defended the Chinese Communist Party. Something he did yet again, he did yet again in his interview with Margaret Brennan, CBS Face the Nation. Still peddling the wet market rather than Wuhan laboratory produced theory about the origins of SARS CoV 2. Fauci disputed Margaret Brennan's claim that Beijing acknowledges now that they don't think it originated in that market. Fauci shot back, I think you could say we don't know. And where it originated, there were wet markets in Wuhan that are ample opportunity for a virus to jump from an animal that gets brought in from all parts of China that are very closely related physically to but bat enclaves and caves and came to the market. So I don't think anyone can say that it didn't come from here or it did come from there. What a liar. The vaccines for which Fauci takes credit have been a costly failure. He, along with Joe Biden, misled the American people into believing the vaccines are safe and effective, but caseloads continue to spike high. Caseloads continue to spike despite high vaccination rates. Fauci himself recently admitted the prophylactic effect of the vaccines has waned and boosters are now required to extend what little short-term benefit the first round of injections provided. COVID fatalities this year are slightly ahead of 2020. A metric that no one, including Dr. Fauci himself, publicly predicted. Rather than own up to his disastrous policy and medical advice, Fauci instead is accelerating his messianic impulses. He's unsure. Fauci told George, step on all of us Sunday morning. He's unsure whether new lockdowns are needed to prevent the spread of the Omicron mutation. But he warned, prepare for the worst. Music undoubtedly to the ears of Xi Jinping, who's not going to like that on his people. Ironically, Tony Fauci, who laughed off his own criminal culpability related to the pandemic in Margaret Brennan's interview, wants other people investigated 
but both for the handling of COVID-19 and the four-hour protest at the Capitol earlier this year. In one sinister exchange with Margaret Brennan, Fauci nervously giggled and rhetorically asked Senator Ted Cruz, what about January 6th, Senator? He also wants a 9-11-style commission to investigate the Trump administration's response to the crisis. The top focus, Madman Fauci noted, should zone in on why, quote, Trump left things up to the states, unquote. All right. Julie Kelly says, chalk up the U.S. Constitution as another thing Anthony Fauci has no clue about. But perhaps Fauci's onto something. When Republicans take over the House next year, they should immediately form several 9-11-style commissions to investigate numerous scandals stemming from the Trump era. At the top of the list should be a public accounting of Fauci's leading role in the COVID-19 crisis, his misstatements to the public and Congress on the so-called science, his relationship with the Chinese Communist Party, his political machinations before the 2020 election, and his ties to pharmaceutical companies and other parties with, with, a, with a financial interest in pushing vaccines. Furthermore, Fauci should testify under oath on what scientific basis he recommended using American children, including babies, as pharmaceutical lab rats. If indeed he is America's doctor, as Margaret Brennan at CBS Face the Nation so obsequiously claimed, and to which Fauci agreed, then he should be properly investigated for medical malpractice at the very least. A wide-ranging federal probe into what happened during the pandemic, maybe for once the madman is right. Yeah. That's what we need, man. I ain't gonna lie, fam. That is what we need. Yeah, this is messed up, y'all. It's, it's, I mean, a guy that evil, right? And the sad thing is there are too many people in our country, you are not paying attention. You show a picture, show a picture of Anthony Fauci. They wouldn't even know who it is. Okay. Now, got some updates on some trials. What's this? Daryl Brooks' lawyer in other felony cases seeks to stop defending him. What? Waukesha attack suspect, Daryl E. Brooks Jr. Remember him? That guy, the guy who allegedly killed six people and wounded over 60 more, mowing them down because he is a, a Black Lives Matter activist who wanted to kill a bunch of white people? Remember him? And all the uh, media says a car did it. It was the SUV's fault. Anyway. Waukesha attack suspect Daryl E. Brooks' lawyer has moved to stop defending him in other felony cases, citing conflicts of interest after his client allegedly plowed an SUV into crowds of people attending the Christmas parade. Filed two days after the attack, the motion claims defense attorney Joseph Damask of Milwaukee County had direct and indirect relationships with individuals, families, groups, organizations, and the communities affected by the massacre creating a conflict of interest. Oh, well, too bad. The guy's going to have to change uh, 
Laurie's a midstream. Well, couldn't have a nicer guy as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. Couldn't have a nicer guy. You know, and the media wants to just bury this. They want to just bury this. But I'm not going to. Senator Ron Johnson, Republican Wisconsin, called for an end to the political exploitation of the Waukesha massacre during a Monday appearance on Newsmax TV's Rob Schnitt show. Well, let's see how that worked out, okay? Let's check this out. Um, Stream press, as you've seen, doing backflips to avoid covering the Waukesha, Wisconsin parade attack. Of course, that is the voice of the great Rob Schnitt over at Newsmax. Five adults and an eight-year-old boy were killed in that attack. 62 other people hurt. Seven children remain in the hospital. Four are in serious condition. It's a terrible story. All of them, including this 11-year-old Jessalyn Torres right here, whose mother tells the New York Post she spent Thanksgiving unconscious in a hospital bed on a ventilator clinging to life. Over the weekend, CNN still refused to mention the Daryl mentioned Daryl Brooks name in its headlines. Here is that headline. Waukesha will hold a moment of silence today, marking one week since a car drove through a city Christmas parade, killing six people and injuring scores of others. So it's a car when it goes this way. I see how it works. First off, it wasn't even a car. It was an SUV. And second off, as we all know, it did not drive itself. But again, they are apologists for this kind of crime. And See, this is why I like this Rob Schnitt guy, because he uh, speaks truth to power. It wasn't a car, it was an SUV, and the SUV didn't drive itself. A lot of the media. Last week, the Washington Post and the New York Times did the same thing, blaming an SUV for the attack instead of exposing the man behind it for who he actually was. Daryl Brooks, a career criminal, a stain on American society, as we now know, who had called for violence against white people and expressed his admiration for even Adolf Hitler. He was released from jail quickly after allegedly running over his girlfriend earlier this month and then was allowed to do the same thing again. So there's a lot of blame on the prosecution, uh, the DA, for this as well. It is a That's um, one of those uh, progressive prosecutors that George Soros helped get elected, who about 15 years ago said, hey, um, my bail reform situation, letting people out who commit violent crimes with very low bail, he says, will that lead to people getting murdered oh absolutely definitely without a doubt okay well you should be in jail a story that would be non-stop coverage for weeks by the mainstream press under different circumstances and we all know exactly what those circumstances are but in a very interesting development two wisconsin senators on both sides of the aisle are asking lawmakers to not politicize this parade attack yeah see i don't get that the Democrats politicize everything, you know? I mean, why on earth, why on earth would a good, stout Republican senator like Ron Johnson say, hey, people stop talking about this? I don't get it. I don't get it. It looks like Schnitt's going to bring uh, Ron Johnson on to talk about it, though, so let's check it out. Republican Senator Ron Johnson, along with Democrat Tammy Baldwin, issuing a joint statement on Sunday calling on outside groups and individuals to cease and desist in exploiting this tragedy. And that got my attention, absolutely. And so we wanted to bring on our friend Wisconsin Senator Ron Johnson to talk about this. Uh, one of the two that made that statement. And, sir, thank you for coming on. Good to see you again. 
Well, Rob, thanks so, for having me on. Yeah, sure. T- tell us uh, why why come out with this statement. What exactly are you are you aiming for here? Well, first of all, we've been in contact with officials in Waukesha, uh, attended the interfaith prayer rally, uh, or prayer prayer gathering, yeah. and so so we understand the pain that Waukesha is going through, and we were made aware by officials that uh, they were hearing potential of outside agitators coming in, stirring up trouble, possibly you know protesting on both sides of the, the political spectrum. And we were just trying to head off of the past any kind of trouble and try and encourage people to show support for Waukesha by, by praying for the victims. Uh, but in, in no way, shape or form am I saying that this is not gonna be politicized. Uh, it will be politicized, yeah. it, is, it is political. And, and the fact of the matter is, is as you pointed out, uh, it, was, it was a driver, there was a murderer here. This was a slaughter. Uh, you, you can't deny that fact. This tragedy never should have happened, but it's because of the no bail, the uh, the revolving door, the, the catch and release policies, not only the border, but within the criminal justice system. So there's no doubt about that there's a political component of this. We were just trying to forestall any kind of agitation, uh, any type of uh, protesters that would potentially turn to riots when both sides might show up. And that's and, and and I completely understand that. And you, you don't want to make a mess of a situation. There's already so much heartache. It's the holidays. Uh, I grasp that. Um, it, it, this this has been you know and 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 again, this is a political news show. We're talking about it. It's it's you know we're we're talking about this because there's a lot of angles to cover here. But when when I see when I see a story like this and I see such a disengagement from the mainstream press. It, it's hard for me. It's it's not that I want to politicize this story, but it's just it's staggering to me to see a press that talked about Kyle Rittenhouse for a year and a half walk away from this story after not even 10 days and act like it didn't happen. And it frustrates me. And I think it frustrates a lot of Americans. What do you say to that? Oh, it frustrates me as well. Again, I, I'm not happy the fact that you have the mainstream media being completely hypocritical here, yeah. uh, blaming President Trump for the Charlottesville uh, tragedy and then blaming a car for this one. Right. So no, I completely understand the disparity in the way the mainstream media treats this, the way they they brush under the, sweep under the rug 570 riots during the summer of 2020 and concentrate on one at the Capitol. Again, I condemn all violence. Again, so again, I completely understand that this is a political issue and it needs to be discussed in a political lens when you've got the left pushing all these policies that relate that create even greater lawlessness. All I was trying to do is react to a request by local officials that didn't want to see outside agitators come in and for their own political purposes, come in, agitate, potentially turn, turn uh, right. Waukesha into another Kenosha. That's, a, that's all I was trying to, to uh, head off of the pass. I think it's a good message. I do, I agree with you on that. Senator Johnson, thank you so much for taking the time. Appreciate it, as always. Have a good night. Stay healthy. All right, so there was... Hey, I'm Rob Finnerty. Thanks for watching. No, 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 no. (laughs) I'm sorry. That was Rob Schnett with with, uh, Senator Ron Johnson from Wisconsin. And, you know, that that joint letter that Ron Johnson did with the Democrat senator from Wisconsin... um, it sent the wrong message. He's saying, well, we didn't want people coming in and stirring things up in Waukesha. Uh, that's not the message we got from the letter. The message we got from the letter is everybody just shut up about this. You know, and I, I, Ron Johnson has been such a good guy 
it's hard to imagine that that was the the message he was intending to to send. Um, anyway, oh, before I forget, um, this is about the time every day, about two hours and five or six minutes into the show is when um, the Podbean app tends to cut off the live stream. And now if you listen later on to the, uh, the download, the podcast, whatever, um, then the whole thing is there. But for some reason, they, they cut off the, the, the live stream. And I, I don't know. I don't know what you're supposed There's something that the people listening to the live stream can do. I don't know if it's like the show or somebody uh, sends uh, some kind of gift, which I don't think even uh, has anything to do with, with, with actual money or anything. I don't understand how, how a whole thing works. But I try to remind people long about this time during the show, if you get cut off, you can always listen later to to the rest of it, and we apologize for the inconvenience. Uh, I'll have to ask my IT guy, okay, how do I explain to my live stream listeners what Podbean does at, uh, you know, two hours and five or six minutes into it? But anyway, I appreciate your forbearance. Um, Now, that having been said, there's – there's something I got to share with you. And this is a nurse in Idaho. A nurse in Idaho explaining that COVID patients are dying from the treatments, not from the COVID. And a lot of people have been seeing this the Vaccine Adverse Events Reporting System from the government has thousands of people on there who have died from the vaccine. Again, I mentioned I mentioned earlier in the show an interview I did last year on my local radio talk show in Little Rock, Arkansas, talking to the, uh, uh, the top epidemiologists in the state of Arkansas and uh, a couple of months ago, she was on the morning show at the talk radio station I used to work at. The morning show host asked her how many people have died from uh, a negative reaction to the vaccine. She said, none. That's a lie. That's a lie. The federal government's vaccine adverse events um, reporting system counts thousands of people. But they're really invested in this. They're really invested in this. All right, so let's hear what this nurse says in Idaho at this public meeting where she's trying to get through to the authorities. Oh, sorry, I got to turn it up. I apologize. All right, here we go. So I'm going to try to keep this short, but I'm going to put this from the Can perspective. Can you speak loudly, too? And I'll try to I'm trying. <laughs> so I'm, I'm going to try to keep this short, and I'm going to put this from the perspective of a nurse who's been working in the hospital here locally. Um, last year, prior to the vaccines, about one in five patients came in with COVID. This year, in the hospital I've been working in, every single patient has COVID. <laughs> 
Want to know what changed? The vaccines. Yes. That's right. Yeah. The patients came in with COVID or with the fully vaccinated and vaccinated at all. Pretty much the majority. There were some unvaccinated, but very few. What we are also seeing are they're coming in with necrotic fingers and toes from from uh, the microclotting, necrotic intestines from microclotting, heart attacks, stroke. Um, um. Okay, wait a minute. She's talking about necrotic fingers and toes. Um, that's one of those words. I know what it means, but I don't know how to explain it to you. Necrotic. Affected with, characterized by, or producing death of a usually localized area of living tissue. So their their fingers and toes are turning black is what she's saying. This is very, very concerning. Let me back it up a little bit. Product intestines from microclotting, heart attacks, stroke, um, uh, myocarditis, all of these heart and health issues, blood issues, all these issues, which we're then being asked to pay upon ourselves by being mandated to get these vaccines. First of all, secondly, the other thing that I'm seeing and that, that we're seeing is watching these, the treatments for this COVID does nothing in the hospital. It does nothing for the COVID. Remdesivir does nothing, but it's not, and the study is proven. If it isn't given within the first three days, it does nothing for COVID. But yet they give course after course after course of the remdesivir, and the patients end up kidney with failure. all kinds of organ failure, kidney failure, liver failure. They're ending up with um, acute respiratory distress syndrome. They're ending up with uh, um, pneumothorax. They're ending up with all of these issues caused by the treatment, not by COVID. They're not dying from COVID. They're dying They're not dying from COVID. They're dying from the vaccine. Got it? So, I was disappointed when former President Trump was on uh, Life, Liberty, and Levin on Fox News recently and keeps on pushing the vaccines, keeps on pushing the remdesivir. Um. That's not going to go. That's not going to work. And I just find it flabbergasting that a guy who was so in tune, so in tune with what ordinary Americans, where we are coming from in 2015 and 2016, And uh, he's just not there. The remarkable thing was that a billionaire could be in touch with common folks like you and me. But four or five years later, he's still pushing the vaccines and remdesivir. I mean... That's the definition of being out of touch. Again, just a couple of months ago, doing a rally, start talking about the vaccines. And his own fans started booing him. That should have told him something. But apparently it didn't. 
Okay. So, you know, I don't know. I don't know. We'll see what happens. But the idea of, you know, cranking up a campaign a couple of years from now for to run for president again, when who knows what kind of side effects we're going to be seeing two years from now, right? from the vaccines. And it's on record that you keep on, keep on, keep on in the year 2021, late 2021, talk about how wonderful the vaccines are, how wonderful remdesivir is. You really think you're going to be a candidate? Late 2023, heading into primaries and early 2024? I don't see how. I don't see how that works. I mean, I had the audio earlier on the show. Bill O'Reilly saying, why didn't you fire Fauci? Well, he'd been there a long time. Yeah, but why didn't you fire him? Well, I didn't really follow his advice. You follow his advice 15 days to slow the spread, and that's what, you know, that's what opened the door for the Democrats to be able to steal the election. I mean, We have to learn from our mistakes. We have to learn from our mistakes. And I'm concerned. I don't see that happening. I don't see that happening with, uh, with President Trump. I just don't. And, you know, I hate to say it. Hate to say it. So uh, usurper Biden out there on his official, uh, no, I don't use the word president with him. He's usurper Biden out there on his official uh, Twitter yesterday saying the best protection against Omicron is getting fully vaccinated and getting a booster shot. Um. One guy responded, why immediately push vaccines? if the initial cases of Omicron were all fully vaccinated individuals, is there actual scientific evidence showing vaccines work against the variant that started in the fully vaccinated? Or are you just repeating a mantra? Uh, I think it's the latter there, pal. He's repeating a mantra. The great Kurt Schlichter, former retired colonel, says the best protection actually is already having had COVID. So, so that's, yeah, that's it, yeah. Oh, here's something I've really been wanting to get to. I saved so many different things. Please. Um, I wish I'd gotten to this before they cut the live stream off, but most people are listening to the podcast after the case anyway. UK Daily Mail. COVID rules are blamed for 23% dive in young children's development. Disturbing study shows scores and three key cognitive tests slumped between 2018 and 2021 with face mask rules among possible culprits. All right? Here are the bullet points. 
A new study executed by Brown University has found face masks and other social distancing measures may in fact impede children's developments. The probe analyzed the cognitive development of the youngsters through infancy, childhood, and adolescence. In the study, researchers first analyzed almost 1,100 assessments administered on over 600 kids prior to March 2020 when COVID lockdowns and masking began. A further 154 assessments from 118 kids administered between March 2020 and June of this year during the height of the pandemic were then carried out. 39 children born in 2018 and 2019 were analyzed over the course of the pandemic into this year. The report found that there was a 23% drop in scores measuring kids' intelligence quotients since the start of the pandemic. The study also found similar dips in the same span in regard to developing children's ability to communicate both verbally and through subtle facial cues. Yes, see, because they're not getting the subtle facial cues. Why? Because Fauci wants mama's face covered with a mask. So the baby, so the toddler can't figure out what mama's saying. Got it? So, um, so that's what's up. That's what's up. They're doing it on purpose. And millions of people are like, that's fine. I'm a sheep. I just trust the government. They would never put me on a boxcar and send me to a camp because I'm a nice person. Right? Unfreaking believable. Jesse Smollett lawyer claims disgraced actor is a real victim of a hate crime. Ah, ha, 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 Come on, man. Come on, man. Give me a break. Give me a break. This, I mean, this is ridiculous. A real victim of a hate crime. Now, I don't know if y'all know, but the U.S. Supreme Court is about to look at an abortion case out of Mississippi. And a lot of folk think that um, it could wind up overturning Roe v. Wade. Did you hear about that? Yeah, let's take a look at this. Um, Jerry Wilson over at Red State has the article Revolution Threatened if Roe v. Wade is Overturned. Tomorrow, the U.S. Supreme Court will hear arguments regarding a 2018 Mississippi law banning elective abortions after 15 weeks. The case could potentially remove abortion from a federal mandate and return it to individual states depending on the U.S. Supreme Court's decision. This is most alarming to those preferring federal control, i.e. open baby killing season of the matter. For example, U.S. Senator Gene Shaheen, Democrat from New Hampshire. In an online forum with New Hampshire's congressional delegation, a local reporter posed a question regarding public discussion of the such subject. Senator Shaheen replied, this infringement of women's rights on our privacy and the attempt to have state control of our personal health really is what we would see in an authoritarian state. 
That's not what we would expect in New Hampshire. I think if you want to see a revolution, go ahead. Outlaw Roe v. Wade and see what the response is of the public, particularly young people. Well, Jerry Wilson at Red State says it's hard to know where to begin, so let's take it from the top. Senator Shaheen's first expressed concern that a restriction on personal preference on abortion impinges on women's rights is curious. At its core, the abortion argument rests on whether one believes life begins at conception or life begins at delivery. If life begins at conception through the union of an egg from the mother and sperm from the father, the result is an independent life regardless of gestation period. If instead life begins at delivery, that thing within the womb is strictly an additional body part. So the woman carrying it inside her is free to dispose of it with all the consideration due a fingernail. This magically ends at the moment of birth when the hitherto parasitical clinger instantly transforms into a full-blown, self-sufficient, independent life form waving bye-bye to all parental units as it hits the streets, ready to rock. Kind of weird, huh? Next up, privacy. Precisely how forbidding elective abortion after 15 weeks involves a privacy violation escapes me. Given pop culture's extreme affection for shouting its abortions as though it was a trophy hunt, keeping it on the QT has never been on any abortion aficionado's agenda. We now turn to the question of state control of our personal health, which, but of course, mandating everyone buy medical coverage insurance is not. Obamacare, right? For the benefit of the coffee-deprived, that was sarcasm. Senator Shaheen is alarmingly unaware of the myriad of laws governing medical practice and policies already in the books covering matters utterly unconnected to abortion. For example, doctor-assisted suicide is not the law of the land. It is legal in some states, illegal in others. It is, in short, a state's rights matter, that pesky Tenth Amendment, you know? Why, then, is the notion of the Supreme Court possibly saying abortion is a state right state's rights issue, anathema to pro-abortion people. As a side note, one of the safer political bets is that the New Hampshire and Mississippi state governments will seldom, if ever, march in lockstep, thus rendering the senators, quote, it's not what we expect in New Hampshire. That comment somewhat redundant. As to Senator Shaheen's final comment, revolution? Really? Aside from a few full-time ranters screaming, my body, my choice, COVID vaccination excluded, preening for lap dog media cameras, would there be any general public outcry? Is the notion of requiring people preferring to avoid pregnancy using the long available precautions against same so burdensome it cannot be placed on the table? Talk about the soft bigotry of low expectations and action. Regardless of where one stands in abortion, the the notion of constitutional law taking precedence over flatulence-laced emotion shouldn't be that hard to accept. If we as a nation stopped governing by feeling, we'd all be better off. However, logic and reason are immediately discarded whenever abortion is discussed, so it comes as no surprise that Senator Shaheen prefers fanning partisan flames over reasoned consideration of the upcoming Supreme Court case. Yeah. Absolutely. 
Absolutely. So that is um, Jerry Wilson over Red State. Article, Revolution Threatened if Roe v. Wade is Overturned. Now, when he mentioned that uh, constitutional law should take precedence over flatulence-laced emotion, that got my attention. And uh, he actually linked to another article over Red State from Jim Thompson, Code Red, abortion statistic, 8% of Americans are depraved ghouls. Uh Uh-oh. This is from October 13th this year. He says, a few days ago, USA Today published a story that dove into the deep conundrum for Texans, uh, quote, getting an abortion while trans, unquote. He says, I have questions, mostly about biology, but since the article discusses the demographic that likely could barely fill a Prius, I'll leave that to the reader's imagination. Business Insider published an article titled, After the, Abor- After the Texas Abortion Ban, People Are Preparing for a Mail-Order Abortion Future. A subtitle in the article, Mail-Order Abortions Are Safe and Many Prefer Them. Yes, the article discusses what they call pregnant people. Birthing persons apparently have options, and they include mail-order abortions. The article includes a photo of two women protesting at the Texas State Capitol. Each is holding a sign. One holds a My Body, My Choice sign. The other holds a sign that says Reproductive Choice. Can I cut off your question mark? Both sign holders appear to be unlikely candidates to ever become pregnant in the first place for a couple of reasons. May I therefore assume that because I am a non-birthing person, I have an equally valid opinion? Abortion activists say no. Putting a positive spin on abortion is standard fare for most journalists. In June, a Forbes headline read, Majority of Americans Support Abortion Poll Finds. Probably would be better saying poll finds majority of Americans support abortion. Anyway, not included in the Google header is a subtext. The vast majority of Americans, 65%, do not support abortion after the first trimester. And if the percentage of people supporting abortion in the second trimester for any reason is only 15%. One of the abortionists' favorite go-to is an appropriately named Dr. Grossman. He says more work needs to be done to elevate the voices of people who have had abortions and who want to share their stories to help people understand the many reasons why the second trimester abortion medical care is so necessary. Now, Grossman's stated reasons for a second trimester abortion include being, quote, unable to make arrangements earlier, unquote. So apparently if a birthing person is busy making TikTok videos and just forgot she was pregnant, there's a valid reason for a second trimester abortion. One data point from the AP poll wins first place for ghoulish data. 8%, a full 8% of Americans surveyed thought it should be legal in all cases to abort in the third trimester. In other words, there are people in this country who at eight months and three weeks might decide their baby is the wrong sex and abort. And I cannot imagine the internal depravity justifying that sort of reasoning, but it does exist. The human sex drive is powerful, but we do have the ability to reason. Many college campuses prefer that people consent in writing to sex. Now, if you have time to read and sign a contract, maybe 
be proactive rather than reactive, he says, and use a condom. He says, yes, I understand that condoms don't always work, but there are plenty of ways one can prevent pregnancy rather than terminating a life. Well, that's true, but, I, you know, here's, here's another possibility. How about um, only have sex with your spouse and understand that God might decide to give you the gift of a child? I, I know, I know, I know. Call me crazy. Now, I read that whole article thinking that somehow or another it was going to be related to what the author of the previous article had called flatulence-laced emotion. And uh, I guess I missed the flatulence part. So I apologize for dragging you through that. But, but I think you should know that according to this poll, 8% of your fellow Americans believe that a woman should be legally entitled to have an abortion right up to the time of birth for any reason whatsoever. Yeah, that's messed up. That's really messed up. Hey, by the way, do you remember I told you if you're outside of central Arkansas and the overwhelming majority of people listening are, as U.S. representative who represents most of central Arkansas uh, up in uh, Washington, D.C., his name is French Hill. And uh, a few months ago, he was on the morning show of the radio station I used to do local talk radio at, and he assured the morning show host that everybody we brought in from Afghanistan would be fully vetted. And, of course, that didn't happen. I don't know where he got that idea. Anyway, Breitbart has an article with video. San Francisco Police Department officers shot dead an Afghan national in a hotel after he charged them while wielding a knife shouting, Alu Akbar. They got the surveillance video footage embedded in the article. Ajmal Amani, a 41-year-old Afghani national, was shot dead by officers in a hotel in San Francisco, California, November 19th. The surveillance footage shows him attempting to stab two officers by running toward them with a knife. In the process, Amani shouted, Alu Akbar. Now, he had arrived in the United States in 2014. Oh, I see. So he wasn't one of the late arrivals. He'd arrived in the U.S. in 2014 after working for five years as an interpreter for Navy SEALs in the Afghanistan war, according to the San Francisco Standard newspaper. Amani likely arrived on a special immigrant visa, a quasi-refugee category created in 09 specifically for Afghans who contract and work for U.S. Armed Forces in the Afghanistan war, He'd been living in the San Francisco hotel paid for by, you guessed it, taxpayers. According to surveillance and audio footage of the incident, a hotel employee called police, stating that Amani had been wielding a knife in one of the hallways of the hotel. Amani can be seen in verbal altercations in the hallway with others. 
When officers arrived on the scene, they tried to get Amani to walk toward them with his hands over his head. Amani can be heard responding to officers, don't talk to me, shut the F up, and leave me the F alone. When Amani did appear in the hallway, he rushed toward officers with a knife he had been holding. That's when officers shot Amani, causing him to fall to the ground. Okay, wait. Wait, let me write this down somewhere. Do I got a pen? You shoot somebody, it may cause them to fall to the ground. Yeah, I didn't. Who knew? Because I thought I figured it would. <clears throat> anyway. Officers eventually handcuffed Amani as paramedics arrived, and he was taken to a nearby hospital where he died from his injuries. Amani had prior run-ins with police. Two years ago, Amani was arrested for trying to stab a San Francisco park ranger with a box cutter. According to his public defender, he suffered from mental illness. Yes, he mental illness. That's what they always say about these guys. It couldn't possibly be because there's a book he reads called the Koran in which he is told that it's a good idea to fight and kill the infidels, which is just about everybody. Amani was initially charged with attempted murder and assault with a deadly weapon. The attempted murder charges, though, were thrown out by a judge, and Amani was released into mental health treatment last year where he was required to complete the treatment. And he did. He completed the treatment in August. Yeah, so maybe he just got to the point where he thought, well, the only way I know for sure I get into paradise with Allah and the 72 virgins if I, is if I die in the way of jihad, because that's what the Holy Quran says. So, time to try to kill some cops. But see, it's your feel-good story of the day because instead of him kill, killing the cops, they killed him. So everybody goes home happy. Well, except for Imani when he finds out that he was lied to. But anyway, that's uh, not much we can do about that at this point. You know what I'm saying? I mean, not a whole lot. Not a whole lot we can do at this point. Oh, by the way, have you heard about this uh, new Pfizer pill? So um, Cheryl Cook, columnist over at the Declan Herald, she links to an article. She says, this is the article from Science Matters. It's rduts.com. No, rklutz.com. I'm sorry, Ron Klutz. Anyway, she says, great explanation of how the new Pfizer pill copies one trick from ivermectin without ivermectin's other antiviral mechanisms resulting in an inferior and dangerous medicine. IVM beats Pfizer and Merck one-trick pony pills. Wow, wow, wow. I got to tell you. It's almost like Almost like I dropped my, uh, yeah, I dropped my Yeti with a bunch of ice water in it. Oh, well, I guess that means it's about time to uh, wrap it up today. Yeah. See, because every once in a while I have to uh, drink the water. So, yeah, yeah, it's about time to wrap it up for the day. I put you through enough, and, and you've been so patient with me. And I, <laughs> and I appreciate you. I appreciate you so much. So, um, yeah, where is the, uh, I was looking for it up here. It's hard to find something. I have so many tabs open 
every once in a while, I like to look at the comments that I'm getting from the folks. Oh, that's right. That's right. We're, we're, we're out of the live stream and into the podcast part. Okay. Okay. Sorry. Anyway, you've been listening to episode 35 of the all new doc Washburn show. Today's program has been produced by Tim terrible directed by Mick messy. This has been a terribly messy production <laughs> more ways than one today. Portions of today's program will be taken overseas and dropped. If you'd like a transcript of today's episode of the all-new Doc Washburn Show, simply peel the roof off a Rolls-Royce panel truck and send it to Mansour's Computer Solutions, 7th floor of the Ephemeral B. Smoot Building, Whitehall, Arkansas, in case in care of Sheriff Mansour Sempier the Tenth. Well, that's the way it is. Tuesday, November 30th, 2021.